Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Gym Class All-Stars. Back here yet again, another full week of sports, plenty of stuff to go around. And in the NBA, some big names getting moved. We've been talking about it. We weren't really sure what Houston was going to do with their two superstars. But Russell Westbrook has been moved. He is going to Washington. He will be wearing number four. And in return, John Wall is coming to Houston uh, along with a protected first round pick. First things first, uh, who do you think is the winner of this trade? I hate it on both sides. I think both sides lost. I, I think the Wizards, in all aspects, will get better because of it. But, like, I know Russell Westbrook is good. But just the fact he can't shoot bothers me. And, you know, I'm not an NBA player, so I really can't be giving him much criticism. But you have John Wall, who had a horrible, gruesome injury, has been out for, like, a year. And then you have Russell Westbrook, who can average 20 and 10 and like eight, but just time and time again is disappointing come playoff time. So for the Wizards, I think getting Russell Westbrook plus that draft pick and kind of filling out your core, that's a, that's a good squad. Now, Houston. Yeah, so okay, yeah, no, let's go to Houston for a minute then. Let's So Houston now – we know the talk around Harden. We don't really know what's going to happen if he's going to get moved, if he's going to if he's going to stay. But you look at some of the other players they've they've now acquired. They just got John Wall, who, like you mentioned, coming off a bad injury, he hasn't played in two years. Boogie hasn't played much over the last few years. He's been hurt. Another guy who's maybe not the best locker room presence from time to time. They're taking flyers out on players because this is they they don't really have anything to lose at this point. Like if they move Harden, they're gonna get a large haul. But what do you make of this strategy to just try out these guys who were proven, but still just they haven't done it in a little while? You might as well do the whole throw stuff at the wall and just see what sticks. John Wall, he has the potential to be, I would say, superstar, but he has like maybe all-star caliber level type play or is actually playing well. I mean, he was explosive. He's one of the fastest guys in the league before he got injured. And really haven't seen a whole lot of him over the past year, year and a half. DeMarcus Cousins, another guy with an injury. Very useful piece in New Orleans, then blows out his Achilles. Uh, could that be potential? I don't know. I mean, they got Christian Wood. But I guess going off of that, we talked about Harden potentially being moved. And there is little things kind of buzzing around the league that James Harden is fed up with stuff. He didn't show up to Houston for meetings. He's out with little baby, like partying and doing all this stuff after the NBA releases their whole like COVID memo. I, James Harden wants out of Houston and it's going to come down to as long as the Rockets can keep that at bay, maybe they will be able to get a really, really good haul for him. But once that gets out, his stock's going to plummet. Yeah, I agree. Harden uh, won't be practicing this week with Houston because of the COVID protocol. Um, they're keeping him safe. He's self-isolating. But yeah, they're so I, I'm in, intrigued. Say they are able to trade Harden before the deadline. Maybe they're, you know, hanging around the playoffs, but they get more of assets, future assets than they get, you know, star players for right now. Is the core other than Harden going to be good enough to contend for one of the bottom seeds? if they are to move on from him. No. Oh, now that Harden, like John Walls needs to come back and 
be a superstar, which I don't think is going to happen. And either that or DeMarcus Cousins needs to be averaging 20 and 10 a night, which I, unfortunately, I think he's a shell of himself. And that's just because of that Achilles injury to a degree. Without Harden, that team falls apart. I know you have your, like, differing opinions about Harden and is he a really good player or whatnot. But James Harden makes that a competitive basketball team. Without him, no shot. No, yeah, I I agree. I think the only shot they would have would be if both Wall and Boogie were able to return back to peak form. And that that's, you know, wishing on the farthest away shooting star of all, you know, of all time. Like, that's just, it's a prayer. Like, that team is... 2017 gold like it's just like oh yeah i love that team but in 2020 nah not feeling it not not quite as much so on the other side of this trade you move a pick but you get a healthier potentially more reliable super hyper athletic point guard in russell westbrook to now pair with your already superstar scorer bradley beal the other pieces you know you signed bertans to a big deal you got the young hachimura uh thomas bryant but not necessarily a playoff caliber roster quite yet, just based off the, the experience. What move would Washington need to make from here to go to a legitimate contender in the East? I don't think there's a move they can make in the short run, barring like trade for a superstar type thing sure. to win in the short run. Now, in the long run, assuming Russell Westbrook stays healthy, and I mean long run as in like three years tops, because Russell Westbrook's going to get old going to get less explosive. You have Bradley Beal, who is getting into his prime and really becoming a superstar. If our boy Denny can actually, like, if he can be the sort of Luka Doncic type hybrid that we kind of think he's going to be, that's a great piece. Bertans is a great shooter. Thomas Bryant is reasonable. Russell Westbrook, I know he was in Houston last year. They shot a ton of threes, but he was responsible for a lot of the three-point shooting. Now where I think he's going to be the guy that's going to be facilitating and being more of shooting mid-range, playing in the post, you know, scoring layups, things like that, and having shooters around him, I think that system is going to work better for him. So I think the environment and a little bit of player progression can really put the Wizards over. But I think with – Russell Westbrook's timeline kind of being coming to an end it's going to be tight so say the roster you know maybe even a year from now the roster's improved a little bit or these guys you know they got a little more experience under their belt how far could the duo of Westbrook and Beal go like how you know could that be a championship caliber caliber duo no because Russell Westbrook to this day just doesn't impress in the playoffs and you can talk about how he's the only guy in OKC for a little while, you know, Houston kind of being a mess last year in the bubble. You can talk about that, but until Russell Westbrook can kind of prove to me that he, he shows up in the playoffs. So he scores points, he adds assists, but his percentages are just so low. And he's, his usage is just, it's so high for what he's actually producing if Russell Westbrook can show up in the playoffs or at the very least, like be able to facilitate enough to have those other guys score, they could legitimately be one of those, you know, six seeds that no one wants to play because they're just such a, a nuisance. Yeah. I like that. The, the idea of, you know, maybe they're not going to be a top team. There's a lot of really great teams in the Eastern Conference this year, but being one of those teams that you don't want to see in the first round, it is something of note because 
Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal is a horrifying, quote, worst team to play. That That's pretty terrifying as a duo regardless. But yeah, we'll, we'll see how the Wizards handle things going forward. Seems like a rebuild is kind of off the table at the moment. You know, any talks of moving Bradley Beal, probably stunted at this point. He's in Washington for the time being, at least one more year. So him and Westbrook going to be a fun duo to watch alongside some of these other Eastern Conference duos. We got, you know, Ben and Joe, Kyrie and Durant for the first time, Giannis and Middleton, of course, Bam and Jimmy. Going to be really fun in the Eastern Conference this year. Um, Jump into just so we did a big episode on free agency a little while ago. Um, we missed a, a handful of things, but none of the, none of the really big splashes other than Anthony Davis, you know, the, the re-signing with the Lakers, the max contract, uh, Marcus Saul also lands with the Lakers. So who are your, first of all, who's your big winner of free agency, just the free agency period of acquiring new players via, whether via trade or, or signing. Got ahead to the Hawks. Did not think they'd get Bogdanovich. Did not think they'd get Gallinari. They add a lot of shooting and I'd say pretty They're Both those guys are really good shooters. I think Gallinari is useful because he's also, he's a stretch forward. That's kind of what they're missing. Like John Collins can kind of play that, but he's not as capable as a three point shooter. He likes to play more mid range or down the post. Like he, they've really filled out their core. They had people like Rondo as well. I don't know how good they'll be. Like Trey Young's deficiencies on defense are a little bit startling, but I think they're the winner. Who's your winner? My winner is actually the Los Angeles Lakers. You know, they won a championship, so it's very tough to improve their roster. And they did lose some key pieces, Avery Bradley, Danny Green, um, JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard. But the pieces they got to fill in are high-level either veterans or young guys that are ready for stardom. They signed Montrez Harrell was the big one we talked about, along with Dennis Schroeder via trade. I just said they got Marcus Saul. They re-signed Davis and Caldwell Pope. They kept a lot of the important players from their championship run and added either veteran or young talented players to add to the already talented roster. So now you're not just have, you don't just have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, one of them having to always be on the court. Now you got Harold, you got Schroeder, you have other guys that could be entrusted to give in what's going to be, you know, a short off season, a shorter season, someone like LeBron and Davis, a little more rest throughout the course of the regular season. And that's very important for this kind of a team that knows they're in it for the long haul. I guess as a counterpoint to that, it's kind of the same aspect with the Warriors a few years ago where Lakers are fresh off a championship. They have LeBron, they have AD. So for them to pull in free agents after winning a ring, it's pretty easy. You got people ring chasing like Wesley Matthews per se. And believe me, they did very well in free agency. I guess the Hawks, the Hawks have had no real proven success in quite a while, especially in the playoffs. They have a good core, especially of young guys. So for them to land a few pieces like that, I think that's pretty impressive. Lakers do look great, though. As much as I dislike the Hawks, I think the Hawks were probably my number two on this list. They had a sensational offseason. Gallinari, Rondo, just to name a few. Great veteran pieces. Trying to build winning culture. It's a very important thing. you got to start from the ground up in, in these professional leagues. So... Loser of free agency. Who was the team that maybe should have made a bigger splash than they actually did? I, I, the cop-out answer would be the Hornets, uh, but I want to give the Hornets the, the benefit of the doubt. Let's see if Gordon Hayward can kind of come back into his own. Yeah. And LaMelo Ball, we'll, we'll give him a shot. We'll see. I think the Clippers are kind of a loser. Okay, and explain. 
They lost Harrow, which that was kind of expected, but they lost him at a price that I mean, maybe Harrow just opted to go to a team that he thought would win a championship, but to lose him for like 10 million a year, that, that seems a little suspect to me. Marcus Morris is a good piece. I feel like that contracts maybe a little bit of an overpay. It sounds like they're going to lose Lou Will in a trade too. I mean, this is, that's my own speculation, but they didn't really add any pieces and there's still glaring issues at the center position. They added Kennard, they lost Shamitz. I don't know. I thought there could be a little bit potential for them to make some moves, but disappointed in what they've done. They also locked Doc, yeah. Doc Rivers too. Yeah, some of the new additions for LA, you got Batum, you got Abaka, Rajon Tucker. <laughs> Nothing super exciting, but... I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on Ibaka. That was a good signing, but like, why Nick Batum? Yeah, it, it's like you added a veteran, but at the end of the day, it's like, what veteran? I mean, this dude was just eating $27 million out of the Hornets for the last three years. It's like having Joe Kim Noah on your roster. Oh, wait, they had Joe Kim Noah last year. Shocker. He also retired. Good for Joe Kim Noah. Great career. But yeah, you were that's a off bomb last season. Just letting you he know. He looked like a caveman. It was great. Yeah, he did. He really filled out the Geico commercial. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, my big loser, I thought about this one a lot. There were a few teams I want to, you know, honorable mentions. I'll say the Pelicans are in there. The, uh, well, up until the Russell Westbrook trade, I was going to say the Wizards. They didn't really impress me all that much until then. But uh, the team I am actually going to choose is the Milwaukee Bucks. They did okay. a good thing in going out to acquire Holiday, the extra star. They did need that. But you have you have to start looking at what they gave up for him. They gave up three first-round picks and two pick swaps and a plethora of players, you know, some guys that needed to be moved. But um, the the issue becomes with this team is you have to demand excellence, obviously, because Giannis is such a high caliber player. But at a certain cost, you have you have it's it's a cost, but you know, uh, add negative. I'm saying this terribly. We're going to edit this, but there there is a cor- correlation to how much you spend to ha- versus how much you get. And I just don't think Drew Holiday was enough. I don't think that. For what they gave up, what they had come in was enough. Holiday's an absolutely sensational defender, probably the biggest snub from the all-defensive teams this year. He's going to help them be an even better defensive team. But this was already a great defensive team. That wasn't the issue. The issue was scoring and shooting the basketball. They got a few guys that can help with that. Portis is a decent stretch for. Augustine's a good shooter. Stauskas they bring in. But they just there was no individual or, or handful of pieces that made me really think – that they're any better than the heat and, and the heat is the standard right now. It's like, you have to be better than the heat to get out of the East. I don't think they got any better than last year's heat. And that's the issue. They just didn't get good enough. Now you have a healthy Kyrie and Durant playing together. You've got a, another year under the belt of Simmons and Embiid. You will have to deal with the heat and Celtics who, you know, they, they made minimal moves, but aggressive moves towards winning Milwaukee. They just didn't do enough. I was, I was pretty unimpressed with their off season. Yeah, we'll see. It's not, It kind of seems like they threw just a plethora of future assets to acquire someone who is at least a reasonably good player. Drew Holiday, like you said, is a great player, but they were kind of reaching on that. Yeah, like the Pelicans definitely got a lot back for that trade. They got Eric Bledsoe and George Hill – or no, George Hill went to the Thunder, but – they got Eric Bledsoe, they got a bunch of pick swaps, so it was worth it for them just to give up Drew Holiday, who probably would have wanted to get traded anyway. 
Yeah, and now they have some assets that they can move for other things. You know, they have Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball now. There's no need for both of them. So you can see what you can get for for one of them potentially on which direction they want to move forward with. But so that that's kind of the wrap on free agency. You know, we might see a few more signs and cuts, maybe another trade, but probably nothing major until the season starts. Uh, speaking of, though, the season is right around the corner. December 22nd will be opening day. We got two games. Uh, Golden State will be playing Brooklyn, kind of a battle of two teams who weren't quite themselves last year. And then what we all thought we were going to get in the Western Conference Finals last year, the battle of the L.A. is the Lakers versus the Clippers. Uh, those are the two opening night games. Uh, which, which are you more excited for in, um, in those two? Clippers, Lakers. If Clay wasn't hurt, I would definitely say the Golden State Warriors game. But I kind of just want to see LeBron go after Kawhi again because I nothing has proven to me that Kawhi isn't LeBron's kryptonite. Kawhi right. just seems to shut him down. And that's why I wanted that Western Conference Finals matchup because my hunch was – while, while Paul George was a bum in the playoffs, my thought was Kawhi is going to be able to shut them down enough. I don't know how AD would have factored in, but I think the Clippers would have won that. So I want to see that, especially with the retooled Lakers, because I think the Lakers are going to look a lot better. Uh, yeah. Yeah, a big story I'm sure the players will be focused on too will be uh, Montrez Harrell's very first game in a Lakers uniform will be against his former team, the Clippers, of which he is coming off a six-man-of-the-year campaign with them. I'm very, I'm very excited for both of these games. I'm actually just intrigued more about the Golden State-Brooklyn game because this is, A, Kevin Durant's first game against the Golden State Warriors and well, in some time. And, B, it's just we haven't seen – you know, I, haven't, I didn't watch much of the Warriors last year and the little bit of Steph Curry that was there I just I didn't really pay attention to because it didn't really matter. So I'm excited to see a, Steph Curry, a reinvigorated Curry and Draymond. I'm excited to see the young James Wiseman. I'm excited to see the duo of Kyrie and Durant. I think it's at least on the offensive end going to be sensational and super exciting. And because of the late start, December 22nd, Christmas Day games will be on the third day of the NBA season. Uh, normal slate, five games as normal throughout the course of the day. I'm going to list off the matchups. I'm going to talk about what you think might be the best matchups, what you're most looking uh, forward to. Uh, so we're going to start the day off with New Orleans Pelicans versus the defending Eastern Conference champion Miami Heat, Zion versus Jimmy there. The Golden State Warriors will then follow up against the Milwaukee Bucks. Milwaukee, the second best home record in the league last year. Brooklyn versus Boston will be the third game. Um, Kevin Durant versus the young Jason Tatum, probably a scorer's duel there. Dallas versus LA, the primetime 530 matchup. Luka versus LeBron, probably going to be two uh, MVP candidates going at it there. And then to end it out, we're going to have a repeat of that amazing seven-game playoff series between the L.A. Clippers and the Denver Nuggets. We'll see who is ready for this uh, version of that battle. Um, so first, which game are you most excited for? And then which do you think is going to be the most competitive? I am most excited for the Laker-Mavs game because I think that is going to be a shootout. Um, I tend to imagine the Lakers will pull it off kind of at the end. But this Dallas-Mavs team, we've been hyping them up the past few weeks. I really want to see what their squad looks like, especially adding a lot more height. Uh, Luca's in his third, third is it? Yeah, third year. Wow, it's, it's, time's flying. Sorry. Oh yeah. <laughs> like that to me, Luca is the Wonder Boy. It's going to be very exciting. Uh, the closest game, I think the Heat will beat the Pelicans. I don't. I don't think I'm saying anything weird here. I'm interested to see the 
Bucks Warriors because I think that could be a sneaky good game if James Wiseman is like reasonably good and can cover Giannis. What's we'll yeah, no, that could be interesting because he's he is an athletic five. Like he he can move a little better than some of these other guys. Yeah, I like that game a lot. What do yeah, you think? I got um sorry, I don't know why I took that big pause. Um <laughs> so the, obviously, as a Heat fan, the game I'm most looking uh, forward to is New Orleans-Miami. The specific reason I'm giving myself is that uh, the last game of the season before it got postponed for COVID was New Orleans beating Miami. So I'd like a little revenge here. And also, just excited. it's always exciting to get to watch Zion play basketball against your favorite team. Should be a good game. Pelicans uh, on the up and up this year in Miami, obviously looking to repeat their trip to the finals. The game I think is going to be the closest. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you wouldn't say Clippers uh, Nuggets. I mean, those guys went to seven. I love it. I I don't know. I think Denver's going to win. Quite honestly, I I think they're going to be the better team coming out just because most of their roster stayed together outside of you know Jeremy Grant and one or two other guys. But I, I think that could end up being you know an under five point game. Okay. So yeah, that's that's the NBA right now. I'm excited. Any any other thoughts? Any other thoughts? I have a question for you. Yeah. I saw this on Twitter the other day and it boiled my blood. It was an opinion from someone and I'm just going to like this is I want to ask for your opinion. Who is the better player currently? Luka or Jason Tatum? Like Luka Doncic, not Garza. Yeah, yeah. Who's the better player right? Now? I mean I mean Luka. I also think that, but apparently a lot of people think Jason Tatum's the better player. And that is, Jason Tatum is a great player, but Luka can do so much more in terms of handling the ball and can still put up points when need be. Jason Tatum is a win player. I think the edge Tatum has is on defense, but I don't think the edge that he has over Luka is significant enough to overcome the edge that Luka has on Tatum on offense. And, and, And Jason Tatum is a sensational offensive player. And I think he's going to emerge as a top 10 player in basketball this upcoming season, but Luca's already a top 10 basketball player. And, and it's mostly because of how insane he is on the offensive end, hitting step backs over anybody, pretty much being able to score the ball whenever he wants to, like at some point there is no compensating that there is no compensating for that. It's just Luca's going to score when Luca wants to score Tatum. Tatum doesn't quite have like a, if I just want to do this, I'm going to do it. He tried on Bam out of bio and Bam said, no, there's something to be said with Luca can literally slow down the game and like he can pace the game, which I think is incredible because not a lot of people can do that. And Jason Tatum, super explosive, but Jason Tatum is super fast paced and things like, you know, Bam Adebayo can get in the way of that. Luca can kind of just do what he wants, which is really impressive. Yeah. You, you played with me, so you can let me know if you ever uh, felt this kind of the way I do. But as a point guard, when I played, it was very important to me to be able to control the pace of the game. And, you know, you, obviously you can't do it every time. But in the games where you are very easily able to control the pace of the game, it makes everything on the offensive end flow. And then you can get set on defense. It just makes the game come easier. Luca excels controlling pace of the game whether he when he wants to go fast he's darting on the court when he wants to go slow he is taking his time he is moving the basketball he is very very good and at such a young age that is such a good quality to have in a basketball player yeah i'd rather have luca than you at point guard but fair (laughs) 
No, sure. Like, I, it really does help. It, it, exactly. There's, there's just something about tempo in basketball. If you're deciding when it's going fast and when it's going slow, you're essentially in control of the fatigue of the game. And that's, that's enormous. All right. So basketball is coming very soon. Preseason games actually start in the next couple of days. Uh, every team, I believe, gets two preseason games. So we'll, we'll see how this season goes with COVID and all that stuff. But the NBA set to start in a couple of weeks here. Very exciting stuff. So we're going to transition out of professional basketball now and on over to college basketball as that season is starting to ramp up now. Uh, I want to start Luca Garza. We are the Garza guys, and this man is holding up to our praise. Back-to-back games with 30 points in the first half of said game. In fact, one of those games, he did not miss a shot in the first half. They are some of the tune-up games for Iowa, but it's really nice to see him showing dominance and helping the team show some dominance because that's going to be the issue late down the stretch. It's not Luca Garza, but the rest of the Iowa roster for how good this team really can be. Um, but Alex, your first thoughts on Luca in the first for the, uh, through the first three games of this season? <laughs> he he looks great. I mean, I laugh because it's kind of hard when you go perfect in the field and drop thirty and a half against a team called Southern. <laughs> That's tough. Uh, what I will say though is Luca is emerging as easily a lottery pick next year. He seems like a very useful stretch forward. I know he plays center, but. I think there's a lot you could do with him. He looks like an NBA caliber player already. He's he's out for blood. He wants that wooden award, and I'm here for it. Me too, and the people of Iowa are with him. I can tell you that right now. Um, we're we're going to see his draft stock has risen immensely over the last year and now start to this season, though, because there was a point where Luca Garza was just a name. He was a good college center, but he wasn't any NBA kind of prospect, but now he has emerged as the best center in college basketball. And that is something NBA teams will look at. That is something that, like you say, a lottery team might be like, all right, this dude might not have the highest ceiling, but he's going to be a very solid basketball player for me. And that's just sometimes what a team needs. Yeah. He's very developed. Exactly. His, his offensive game is the best I've seen through, you know, the first handful of games in the college season and defensively, he's improving every day. He's a good rim protector so far with that height. And he has Iowa up to number three now in the standings after the, the second AP poll came out. Gonzaga and Baylor are still ahead of them. Actually, Gonzaga and Baylor were scheduled to play tonight. Those were the one and two seeds, unfortunately, due to COVID. We were deprived of that game. Jared Butler versus uh, Jalen Suggs would have been a fun one. They were just but, scared. Well, hmm? <laughs> no, I was going to say they were just scared, but I cut it off. They were scared of Iowa. They are. they are. Neither, neither you team should be scared of COVID. COVID is a, to a degree a scary thing. He's scared of Iowa, the corn people. Your public service announcement from Alex Baker. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, just a little bit more from the top 25 news. 12-seeded Villanova did defeat 17-seeded Texas today by a score of 68-64. to 64. Player of the Year candidate Colin Gillespie had 12, 12 points, four boards, three assists, and the sophomore Jeremiah Robinson Earl had 19 points, eight boards, and two assists for Villanova. Matt Coleman poured in 18 for Texas. Unfortunately, wasn't quite enough. Villanova is a team I'm going to talk about a lot this year. I think Gillespie is uh, one of the smartest point guards in college basketball this season, being a senior, having been under Jay Wright for so many years. He's just going to know the system better than most players are going to get to know their system. 
And then uh, Robinson Earl is just an athletic beast. And I, I think he's already improved so much since last year. And I'm very excited to see what he brings to Villanova. So we talked a little bit in our last episode about player of the year candidates, and I didn't have like a full list. So I just wanted to kind of give some update on who the top guys that are really going to rival Luca Garza. Cause at the moment, I think Luca Garza is, I wouldn't say the heavy favorite, but the favorite to win the player of the year this year. Um, so I want to list off a few names other than Luca that are going to be up for player of the year. Um, so I did mention him last time. Io Desunmu, the point guard for Illinois. He's going to be a top pick in the draft as well. Probably top 15. He's an extremely athletic guard. Cade Cunningham, another guy that I mentioned on our social media, actually, uh, the freshman at Oklahoma State, he was the top recruited player this year for college basketball. One of the few top recruits that actually went to play college basketball instead of joining that uh, that new G League team. But Cade Cunningham, I guarantee, is a name to look out for. He's going to be up there for the rookie of the year. Jared Butler of Baylor, of course, and Jalen Suggs of Gonzaga, the best players on the top two teams in college basketball. And then Colin Gillespie, of Nova and Sam Hauser, Virginia seniors, always going to be, you know, the best seniors are always going to have their names up there on that list. So uh, of your knowledge of college basketball, other, you know, on the names other than Luca, who do you think poses the biggest threat to win the player of the year? I would never decide against my boy, Luca. I think my guy, you showed me some clips of Cade Cunningham. I think he is scary. He's one of the, like, he's a freshman. That idea of the one done, I think that will translate well to the draft. I think that that's always a good thing. Uh, it's tough because we've seen – we had like Nova-Texas today. That was, you know, a top 25 matchup. We were deprived of Baylor-Gonzaga. So there hasn't been a lot of that interconference, like, you know, top 25 type games yet. So the field is really iffy. Jalen Suggs, that's – I like the way he looks – those are probably my three. I like it. I like it. Um, freshmen rarely do win this award, but I think of the freshmen we've had recently, Cade Cunningham is going to have one of the best chances. Um, and then, and again, I, I, I'm going to praise Io Desunmu. I love me, my Iowa Big Ten basketball, but Io on the other side of the Big Ten, a sensational player. If you haven't checked him out, definitely look into him. But uh, I, w- I would, despite my Iowa bias, say Luke is the pretty high favorite at this point. I'm, I'm intrigued to see if anybody can stop him, if anybody can slow him down at this point. And it's going to take a little while to see. So that's what we got for college basketball so far. Season just getting underway. Most teams played no more than three games at this point. But uh, full and swing games, getting canceled, whatnot. But they're rolling with it. Uh, Alex, you had a little bit of an MLB update you wanted to give for us. Yeah, the MLB is in free agency right now, so everything's kind of hush-hush. They're getting ready for winter meetings. Um, the Philadelphia Phillies have somehow managed to make my life a living hell and decided we don't have money and are now trying to trade Zach Wheeler, their starting pitcher, who probably is their number two after Nola, but he had a great year this year, like was playing phenomenally. Uh, I guess as a comment to that, I swear to God, if they're trading him and they're not trying to make money for JT Romoto, I'm going to throw myself at the nearest window. Now, if they're trying to do that, fine. But right now you're losing arguably the best catcher in the league. You're losing a really good starting pitcher. You better keep one of them or else it's, there's going to be massive riots in Philly once COVID ends. 
Yeah, I mean, the biggest issue for the Phillies this year was their lack of pitching, mostly bullpen. But losing a starter like Wheeler is not something that's going to help a team that struggles to pitch. If it is to make room for Real Muto, I think that's an acceptable loss, but it's still a large loss. You don't love to lose a Zach Wheeler type player. He's, he's you know, had a good year for Philly. He's had good years for the Mets in the past. I hope there's a plan. I hope, I hope there's a way there's, to bring somebody else in. There's no way there's a plan. There's no way. Other than the plan is save money. <laughs> no way. Oh, so not, not much more splashing in free agency. We'll keep you updated on the big ones, but our Phillies not keeping the smile on our faces right now. <laughs> nope. Don't worry though. It gets only, it'll only get worse. And now it's going to football. Does. But 11, 11 more years of Bryce Harper. We'll see. But yes, on to football. So we are here on a Sunday night. Most of the games have come and gone by this point. We just have Sunday night and then the Monday and Tuesday games, a couple extra Monday and Tuesday games because of the rescheduling uh, some of the COVID games for the Ravens and the Steelers. We're going to start with the New Orleans Saints today after their victory, clinch a playoff spot. They are the first team to clinch a playoff spot despite the Steelers having zero losses. Uh, so the Saints probably looking like the strongest team in the NFC so far. Are they the favorite to win, to win that conference at this point? Hell no. Uh, I I don't like, I don't think the saints are good. Like they beat the Falcons today and almost managed to blow it twice. Like they Taysom Hill fumbled the ball a bunch of times. The stat I read today is the saints are eight and no and Drew Brees is not there, which is, it makes sense. It's kind of surprising to me though, to be honest, going off of that, the saints have a terrible track record in the playoffs. You got Minneapolis Miracle. You can complain all you want about the NFC Championship game against the Rams, but they got the ball in overtime and did not score. So that's on them. Number three, last year against the Vikings, losing in the Dome again. It's been bad loss after bad loss in the playoffs. And I don't think this year's going to be any different. I think as long as they don't have a first-round bye, I can see them losing in the first round of the playoffs. Like It very well could happen. And Taysom Hill is a good quarterback. I think using him as a gadget player is a better option. I don't know. I'm not sold on the Saints, though. Would you start Jameis or Taysom? I would start Taysom. <laughs> okay. I, I don't trust Jameis Winston. It's like, it's like handing your keys to a blind guy or handing your keys to... Like someone that. who you just know is going to crash yeah. your car. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Taysom's done all right. You, like you said, he has his struggles. He turns the ball over. He can't. He's not a gunslinger by any means. And he, he doesn't look fully comfortable throwing the ball, but he's got good weapons around him. Kamara's a good pass catching back. You got Michael Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, uh, Traycon Smith, Jared Cook, some good hands guys. They haven't lost with Taysom Hill as the starting quarterback. So at this point, I think you just stick with the course. And once Breeze is healthy, you reevaluate. I don't, I don't know if you look into any change, but I don't know if New Orleans is still having this much success. And I know their only games of Taysom have been against the Broncos and the Falcons, but if they're having this much success with their backup quarterback, if Drew Brees does come back healthy, I'd be horrified of the Saints. I I don't know though, because I really think it's going to be one of those situations where you're going to have the Saints maybe win one or two more games. Brees will come back. They'll win, you know, they'll finish like 12 and four, 13, three, maybe. Then they'll go to playoffs to look great, and then they'll like lose first round or second round if they get a buy. I don't know. That's just my pessimism acting in. When it comes to betting, uh, come back to this episode. Alex has got the Saints on an upset. He's telling, he's calling it right now. Yeah, pick like whoever they're playing money line, just profit 
get a second mortgage on your house. Don't actually do that. Please don't. There it is. All right. Speaking of teams that maybe aren't quite as good as advertised, the Baltimore Ravens are getting a lot of players back from the COVID list this week for their game on Tuesday against Dallas. Those players include Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins, Calais Campbell, among some other people. First of all, I want to say how much I want to ask, how much has COVID impacted specifically the Baltimore Ravens? Well, not much at all because they get their games moved willy-nilly. Preach. God. I know it's a different situation than the Broncos, but, like, the Broncos had to put a wide receiver at quarterback to play the Saints, and they got one completion for 12 yards, which, honestly, more than I thought. And then the Ravens get moved back multiple times. We missed a Thanksgiving game because of it. We got to move to a Wednesday afternoon when I was still in class. Like, mm, I was that's just weird to me. I don't know. Like, it's good that they're getting players back. It's good. Everyone's healthy, obviously. But I don't know. I'm sick and tired of the Ravens. Period. I agree. I am always sick and tired of the Baltimore Ravens. And it is a joyous thing for me to see a team that was so highly praised last year, to see it all crumble this year. They're six and five now. Um, like we said, their game against Dallas on Tuesday, but they don't look good. The defense, even healthy, has their holes. The offense, I mean, Lamar Jackson, again, not a gunslinger. He can't really huck the ball down the field. He doesn't even really throw the football to anybody but Mark Andrews. Uh, there, There's a lot of obvious issues in Baltimore. We talked uh, the last time we talked about the playoff picture, how Baltimore seemed to be a lock for one of these wild card seeds. Is that still true? No, because the next team I think we're going to talk about has done surprisingly well in that division. And I think it's a good time to start talking about the Cleveland Browns. They put up 41 points against the Titans today. Uh, You seem to be – your face is super red and you seem to be upset. What's the matter? Well, if you remember not a short time ago, I came on here and I was preaching about how I do not believe the Cleveland Browns are a real football team. And and to my point, I am shocked that they are, in fact, a real <laughs> football team. But they go up against the Titans, who, to be fair, have a shit defense, but they go for 30-something in the first half, 41 total points. They did almost blow it, only won the game by, I think, a touchdown, but they put up a mass amount of points and Baker Mayfield had been a a big question mark of mine for them. Is he legit? Is he just garbage? He seems to be at least serviceable at this point. And even without Odell, the receiving core is doing very well. Higgins is stepping up and Donovan Peoples Jones had a huge uh, touchdown reception today. Rookie out of Michigan. I have to give them credit. They have clinched their first winning season in 13 years. That is something that I have rarely experienced watching as a Steelers fan. I usually can count on the Browns being below 500. Um, it's, it's really just weird, but it's time to start cons- calling this team a legitimate team. I still think they're a first round loss. I don't think the defense is real, but the offense is there. Their running game is sensational. Their offensive line could potentially have five all-stars. They have two sensational running backs to pair with that great line this is not a team you can just look at and ignore. Despite all I've said about them, you do now need to start taking the Cleveland Browns the tiniest little bit seriously. Yeah. They, yeah, Baker Mayfield at least looks serviceable today. He looks, he looks really good, but, you know, his track record hasn't been great. 
But that Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt power duo, their defense looks at least decent. I mean, putting having 34 put up on you isn't great, but it was also the Titans who their offense has been kind of rolling as of now. It's they look good and it's going to be a very interesting few weeks. I don't think they're going to win the division, but you know, I think they'll be the first wild card team because of it. Yeah, no, I, I think they're in a very good spot for that. That's currently the place they hold in the AFC. Um, technically the division isn't even out of the picture. I don't know what the rest of their schedule looks like. Pittsburgh's probably not going to drop more than three games at this point. So, yeah. um, but, but Cleveland looks, I'm just, it, it's just so weird to say Cleveland looks good. I've genuinely never felt like the need to say this and it's baffling. It's, it's a new sensation. I don't necessarily want to say I like it, but I like, I like Baker Mayfield. So I'm happy for him. I'm happy for a handful of people, but I would love to play the Cleveland Browns in the playoffs. I'll say that. That'd be great. That'd be it. You get the Steelers would torch them. Yeah. That would be one of the ugliest playoff games of all time for anybody that's not a Steelers fan. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of ugly football games, the New York Jets, the lowly New York Jets fall to the sad 0-12 mark with now just four games left with uh, to have a chance to win a football game. They're really, really struggling here. They, they put up a good fight against the Raiders. They only lost by three points. They even had a lead. What happened? Oh, did you? I don't know if you caught a clip of that game. The Raiders got the ball down four. They drove up the field. They got a few penalties, got them down to like the 10, and they you know, turn over on downs. The Jets run out a bit of the clock, make the Raiders use their timeouts. The Raiders get the ball back, and they manage to get up to like midfield with like 20 seconds left, no timeouts. The first play, they send a blitz, and Dave, or sorry, uh, Derek Carr manages to throw the ball deep had Nelson Aguilar just overthrew him. I'm like, oh, wow, they kind of blew that chance. Lo and behold, the next play, the Jets, for some inexplicable reason, set like a seven-man blitz, and he had one-on-one coverage with Henry Ruggs and some bum corner who got beat because Henry Ruggs is one of the fastest people alive. And, uh, yeah, that's how they lost. So what my conspiracy is, the Jets are tanking and did not try and hide it today. Literally just tried to lose. So good on them, honestly. Yeah. Hey, Trevor Lawrence is going to be an exceptional player. If they have somebody else on the top of their board, we'll see. But the Jets running out of opportunities to win at this point. We'll see what they can do. Hopefully for their sake and embarrassment sake of their fans, they do win one game. But we'll see how that goes. On the other side of football, there is a team that's very hot now all of a sudden. They started the season one and six, and the Minnesota Vikings are now winners of five straight and the seventh seed in the NFC playoff race. This Is this something that you would have seen coming based off their start? No, and I think I actively shit on them, so I feel a little bad <laughs> about that. But I honestly, they've just been – their run game is so exceptional. Now, granted, today they beat the Jaguars, who are currently 1-10. in 10. Barely. So, yes, in overtime as well. So, like, it was kind of expected today. I mean, they beat the Panthers, I think it was last week or at least two weeks ago. They're they're playing – like, they beat the Packers, so that's good on them. They've beat the Bears, who, you know, they're a dumpster fire too. But 
you know, they're, they're making a push, you know, I'm happy for them. Kirk Cousins is kind of a guy who gets a lot of heat and he's doing pretty well this season. Justin Jefferson has been a standout who um, was drafted right after uh, moving on. Never mind. We're going to ignore that. Uh, <laughs> Actually, you're mentioning Justin Jefferson real quick. I was asked this question. And I kind of liked it. So there's been some great rookie receivers this year, but Justin Jefferson and Chase Claypool seem to be the two that have kind of taken the reins as the top two. I want to ask two questions. Who do you think is better right now? And who do you think is going to be better long-term? Hmm. Uh, you know, I want to say Jefferson on both, and it's not a knock on Chase Claypool. I want to say Chase, Chase Claypool will be a great weapon for these Steelers. I think he's going to end up sort of being the guy behind Juju, kind of like what Juju was behind AB for like a year. Uh, Justin Jefferson, I think, is going to be wide receiver one in the Vikings, I think. He just is so explosive. Like he already has a thousand yards a season. And that was like last week. He just is so good. And that's Chase Claypool. Very good addition to the Steelers. But Justin Jefferson, oh my goodness, has been phenomenal this year. And I think will, he really is going to show that he is a stud and that a team we will talk about later really dropped the ball, not drafting him. So. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on this. Um, I love Claypool. He's had an exceptional year. And honestly, when I was asked this question, I actually answered Claypool's better now, but Jefferson's going to be better long-term. But oh. after today, seeing what Justin Jefferson did, I mean, that dude, he's something else. He's spectacular. I, you know, in fantasy, was offered Justin Jefferson many a times and kept saying no because I don't trust rookie receivers, and now I'm starting to regret it day in and day out. But uh, hats off to both those rookies. But so, so the weird thing about Minnesota, so I said they were the winners of five straight and they're now six and six. The Chicago Bears, who now fall to five and seven, started the season five and oh, and have now dropped seven straight football games. This division is kind of flipped between those two teams now. Um, is there any hope in Chicago? Or no, God, no. They done? They're done for this season. I think they're going to clean house. I think Trubisky is going to be Either Falls or Trubisky is going to be gone. I tend to think it's Trubisky, and I think whoever they get is going to be the starter over Falls. I think Matt Nagy, or at least that coaching staff, is going to get turned away. I think Matt Nagy is going to get fired. It's it's rough there. They don't yeah. look good. Allen Robinson's been pretty vocal about his frustration, about his role in the offense. And when you got somebody that's that high profile for receiver who's not happy, that's a, that's a problem. Yeah. All right. One more topic before we get into the little playoff picture. I want to hear your thoughts about the, this Eagles-Packers game that we just saw uh, conclude in these last few moments. Or, yeah, about an hour fresh off an Eagles-Packers game. Wow, what a game. What a totally expected outcome. Huh. You know, the Eagles start out. They look great. They drove down the field. They wasted seven minutes o'clock and got a field goal. Okay, you know, fine. Aaron Rodgers went down the field. Scored on a fourth down play, so 7-3, not bad, but kind of expected. Eagles then punts. Eagles then just looked awful. Carson Wentz was back to his normal self, and it was very disappointing. They, I want to say the score was 20-3, to three, and then they put in Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts played 
very well today. You can make fun of his interception all you want, but he got hits. He looked like a mini Russell Wilson and not like Russell Wilson playing the Giants today. I mean, like a Russell Wilson that we are used to seeing and all love. He was throwing on the run, moving in the pocket, just kind of picking apart the Packers defense for a little while. And to me, he looked very impressive. So Doug Peterson just came out and said, we don't know who our starting quarterback is going to be next week. There's going to be a lot of talk about it the next couple of weeks with who should be the starter. Right now, this season's probably lost. I hate to say it. The Eagles line sucks. Like they're abysmal. And I don't know. I like the fact Jalen Hurts had a good game today and played more than four snaps. It's about the best yeah. takeaway I can get. It was nice to see, especially after last week we were talking uh, when we had Ian on the show, our good buddy. He, we were talking about how we didn't really think that Jalen was – or he, at least he didn't think Jalen was going to get in this season uh, at all. But now, at the very least, got to finish this game against the Packers. What do you think Doug's going to do? Who do you think he's going to go with next week against, I believe it's New Orleans? Uh, I tend to think it's going to be Carson again, and then if he's not doing well, they're going to switch in. I think you got to give Carson one more chance – to have a bad game and then you can maybe say like full-time starter but like if Jalen Hurts won today's game okay yeah I admit you probably have to roll with the hot hand but he didn't win I mean I don't think it was his fault by any means but mm -hmm. just the way it was yeah tough loss for the Eagles still sitting at three wins and then are now facing potentially being in last place in their division all of a sudden as that division is essentially just two games and everything's different um, and so we're going to get into playoff standings now. We're going to talk about that division quite a bit, among some others. I'm going to start in the AFC. Not much has changed in the top portion of it. Pittsburgh still the one seed at 11-0. and 0. They play tomorrow night or tomorrow afternoon, I guess. Kansas City, they play tonight 10-1. and 1, Still adjust with that one loss. They are pretty much just waiting on Pittsburgh at this point to maybe drop a game. Buffalo still sitting at 8-3. and three. They play tomorrow night. Uh, but they're tied in at number three right now. And then number four is Tennessee. That's going to switch between Indianapolis and, and Tennessee a little bit. Both teams now beat each other. So it's going to be very interesting down the stretch who's going to hold the final tiebreaker. As I begrudgingly mentioned before, the Cleveland Browns are the five seed in the playoffs at nine and three. The Miami Dolphins, Tua led Miami Dolphins, eight and four. And Indianapolis, eight and four as well, is the seven seed in the hunt. We've got the seven and five Raiders, the six and five Ravens, and the six and six New England Patriots all of a sudden back in the playoff conversation. So we, we've talked a lot about Pittsburgh. I don't want to talk uh, too, too much more about them at this point. Tennessee, Indianapolis. First, who's going to win the division? Second, who is the scarier team to play in the playoffs? I think Indianapolis is going to win the division in the end, but I think Tennessee is a scarier team. I think Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry are going to come alive come playoff time, and I think Phillip Rivers – playoff Phillip Rivers is not good. Yeah, yeah, Phillip Rivers has some proven lack of success come postseason. Okay, so this 5-6-7 in the AFC is starting to solidify a little bit, but we still could expect to see some turnover – Baltimore is slipping, but my bold prediction of Miami looking better and better. But I want to say this. I, I still believe that Tua is going to take the Dolphins to the playoffs, but I think the only hope they have of winning a playoff game would be starting Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I was curious what you thought about that. That's probably fair from a veteran experience perspective, but 
What's going to come down to is if they can beat the Raiders, they'll be in. But if the Raiders win, I think they're going to be out. Fair, fair, fair. Uh, Vegas right now sitting as the what would be eight seed. Do you think that they're going to be a team to crack in and, and actually make the playoffs? I got to be contentious and say yes. Cool, cool, cool. Cleveland sitting at nine and three at five right now. Of the teams in the playoff picture right now, the upper four teams, who do you think they'd have the best shot of upsetting in the first round? Mm. You know, going off, there'll be four or five matchup. Mm. I really like their chances against the Colts. Okay. Okay. That tough defense, but you, you trust Baker? Yeah. I trust their run game more too. And on top of that, I mean, their defense is like the Browns defense to a degree is serviceable. So against Phillip Rivers, I think it'll work out and they're playing in a dome with no fans. So no weather conditions, like some of that. Maybe the maybe the Bills too, but I don't know. I'd, I'd rather them – like if they want to win, I think the Colts are probably their best shot. Or the Titans, right. the Titans win the division. So that's the AFC race at this point up through the first half of the – I guess the first two slots of the Sunday games with still a handful of games left this week. Now over to the NFC. We mentioned the Saints' first team to clinch a playoff spot. They're number one, looking pretty strong – for that one seed at this point. Number two switched a lot throughout the course of games finishing today, but at the moment, the two seed would be the nine and three Green Bay Packers after their victory over Philadelphia. The three seed now comes to the LA Rams who are winning their division at eight and four, owning the tiebreaker over Seattle at the moment. And good God, the four seed is the five seeded New York football giants. The five or the four seed. I don't know what I said. The five seed would at the moment be Seattle after they lost to the football giants. Six seed would be the seven and five Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They had one of the late buys this week. And then the seven seed, as I mentioned, Minnesota now both uh, six and six tied with Arizona. They own the, the tiebreaker at the moment based off of, I believe conference wins and then Arizona, San Francisco, and essentially the rest of the NFC East for the division title are the teams left in playoff contention in the NFC. So let's start at the top of this. Uh, Green Bay moving into second place. You talked highly about them early in the year. How are you feeling about Green Bay uh, at this point with just four games left? I feel like they're the favorite and they're going to come out of the NFC. They look good. Devontae Adams is a freak. Aaron Rodgers looks phenomenal and the rest of their offense does. Their only question mark is the defense. Their defense tends to get them in a little bit of a predicament, but I do like them as the favorites. Yeah, I think Rodgers is playing good football. The receivers are finally getting healthy, which is always nice. And for the defensive side of things, it's just slowly getting better over the rest of the, the regular season. It's the little things you can improve upon. You know, they, they were able to close out the game against the Eagles without giving up one more garbage time touchdown. It's stuff like that. It's don't let the teams hang around. It's don't make it so your defense can get beat at the end of the game. Yeah. So that, that'd be my, my thing with Green Bay. So L.A. tied with Seattle, but they own the tiebreaker for the three seed right now. Seattle's defense is atrocious. And honestly, even on offense today, they were not looking the best. Are they still going to be the favorite to win this division at this point? I like the Rams to win the division. All right. The Rams now. Why is that? The Rams can be very hit or miss, but the Seahawks are just kind of missing right now. And – I don't know. I think the Rams are just with the tiebreaker and they have a game advantage on them. 
I think that's just going to work out in their favor. So I'm going Rams. Yeah. That Rams defense is looking uh, more and more stout every week. And now with the health coming back into play, their three-headed running back system, we're finally getting to see it. The mixture of all three of Malcolm Brown, Daryl Henderson, and Cam Akers. Cam Akers have, I believe, his first rushing touchdown of the season today against Arizona. That's dynamic. Three guys who can run the football, who can catch the football. They're, they're able players to go along with Woods and Cup and ease some of the pressure off of the uh, the quarterback, Jared Goff. Things are just trending in the right way. And like you mentioned, trending in the wrong way for Seattle. Um, they're looking like they might even get blown out of whatever playoff matchup they play. But if they're in that four or five matchup against whoever ends up winning the NFC East, you still got to feel pretty good about that one though, right? Yeah, I think the Seahawks, if they get the wild card, like that's honestly, it's the best matchup for anyone to play the NFC East. Like the five seed, that's the coveted seed. Yeah, that, that's what you're pulling for. Speaking of that four or five matchup, so the the Giants have now taken kind of control of the division. If Washington and and Dallas both lose this week, they each respectively play the Steelers and the the Ravens. New York would have a full game lead over both of them and a game and a half lead over Philadelphia. I know this is kind of a loaded question at this point because none of them look like good teams, but are the Giants, is this the Giants emerging as the team that's going to win the division? Might as well, yeah. I I think – at this point, yeah, after beating the Seahawks today, it the NFC sucks, and that's why I'm just grumbling here because, God, <laughs> the Eagles suck too. It's, it's a dumpster fire. Yeah, I mean, the thing I'll say about the Giants is, like, their defense has been okay all year, especially, you know, Bradbury's a good defender, and Jabril Preppers is honestly having a much better season than he's ever had. Uh, and I guess they have Jabal Sheard now. I just learned that today. But... <laughs> Their offense was this weird thing to me because, like, other than their line, they have some decent players. Like, Wayne Gallman, despite being the third running back on the depth chart, has honestly been a decent option for them. They actually ran the ball very well today. He had, like, 11 for 121 the last I had checked. Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton are, are able receivers. Evan Ingram sucks. I don't think he's a real tight end. But as long as the quarterback's given time, he's got options. He's got weapons. The Giants just – they need to actually just be a, a, a real football team at this point. Like just hunker down and be like, look, we aren't the best, but we can win and hang in football games. They're capable of it. They just need to have the confidence to do it. I think, I think that's what they really lack. And you know, with Daniel Jones going out, that really hurts, but Colt McCoy got a win today against a team he shouldn't have. So. Good on Colt. <laughs> Honestly, good for him at this point. Uh, I think it was the stat was like his eighth start in the last nine seasons. <laughs> it's more uh, starts so than we I mentioned. We mentioned Seattle at five, Tampa Bay at six right now, seven and five between, you know, whoever it's going to be between Seattle and LA or Tampa Bay, who do you think is going to end up being that fifth seed? It'll be the Seahawks or Rams. It's not going to be Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is on a downward spiral, but we'll see come playoff time how they do. So that's interesting because if they do, and if that does end up being the case at the moment, Tampa Bay would play that division winner. How would, Oh, I guess who would be the preferred option for Tom Brady, the Seahawks or the Rams? Rams, because I think there's a chance Jared Goff folds on you in the playoffs, and that's what Tom Brady could take advantage of. Yeah, that mental edge is huge, especially for someone like Brady who has it on almost anybody at this point yeah. in his career. Except Nick Foles. And that, that last seed, Arizona has now seeded their standing in the post uh, in the in the wild card to Minnesota. Minnesota is seven. Arizona does not hold the tiebreaker. 
I'm going to say Arizona is going to end up holding this, holding on to this one. I think the Vikings defense is going to severely fall apart at some point and somebody will stunt their offense, but Dalvin cook dude is an actual animal. And then these two receivers, they have one healthy feeling and Jefferson, they can ball. I don't not see the world where the Vikings make the playoffs. I just, I think it's more so I just want to see Kyler Murray in the playoffs. I, th- I think that's what it is. But Arizona or Minnesota, who do you who do you think is going to hold that last seed? Or I guess I would rather see Arizona as well. But I think Minnesota is going to actually pull it out. I think the Cardinals are also on downward spiral. That would lead to what at the moment would be a Green Bay Minnesota first round matchup, and it's always fun to see those division rivals getting playoff matchups. That would be a bloodbath, in my opinion. We all know what happened week one. They just is a shootout all but, the way. Let's not forget how they got back into the playoff picture. They beat the Packers. Like it was like 28, 14 or something like that. Yeah, no, they, they handled the Packers. That was, yeah, that was a big one. Dalvin cook. I think that was one of his big days. It Just was ran all over them. Dal- Dalvin Cook's a huge animal. We saw how important Derrick Henry was to Tennessee's success in the playoffs last year, that he was able to just run through teams. Dalvin Cook's the other kind of running back that can do that, and, and he can work it in the passing game a little better than Henry can. So that's going to be a huge weapon for Minnesota moving down the stretch. And then again, to have the other good options, and Kyle Rudolph at tight end is always a solid option there. They can move the football. If the defense holds firm, that offense will get it done for them. All right. Any any other thoughts on the NFL before we move on? The season doesn't count. That's all I'm saying. It's a salty Eagles fan. I'm going to say the season fully counts because my team is amazing. Go Birds. Right. So we got a new segment here today with the uh, NBA draft and free agency period now coming to a close. The season getting ready to start. Uh, Alex and I, your gym class all-stars, wanted to give our NBA award predictions and, and you know season standing predictions of who we think is going to have the most success, win the awards, and bring home a championship to their city this year, whether or not it's actually played in their city, will be up for debate. But, so, let's start with who do you think is going to be the MVP next season? My MVP choice is going to be Kevin Durant. Okay, Brooklyn Nets, Kevin Durant, why that? I think, like, Luka could be a dark horse, I think he's a little bit too young right now, and you still have guys like LeBron, KD, Harden, Westbrook, who are like going to score at high volumes. I think Giannis is not necessarily taking a step back. I don't think he's going to have as awesome as the season. And I think KD in his year back is really going to just put up points as long as he stays healthy. So Kevin Durant's my choice for that reason. By you. See, I, I feel like Kevin Durant's going to fall on a few people's radars, but I think he's a good guy to, to bring into the spotlight because – if he does come back fully healthy, he will, will return to being a top three player in basketball, no question. Yeah. Um, I want to preface mine by saying some of these are a little more based off who I actually think is going to win than who I genuinely believe should win. And that's mostly with who I'm going to say is my MVP because I believe that LeBron James is the best player in basketball and should win the MVP. I do not believe the league will give it to him. So I believe that Luka Doncic is going to be the MVP this season. And the reason I say that is because I believe the NBA has found their new golden boy. It has gone from Kobe Bryant to Stephen Curry to now what I believe will be Luka Doncic. Um, They love the offensive players, the fun ones, the ones that people just love to scream their name when they shoot. And, And Luka is an icon at this point. As long as he plays not minus defense, so he play, he becomes a better defender and averages near or at that triple double mark. Even if the Mavericks are a bottom four seed in the playoffs, 
Luca putting up numbers is going to mean so much more to the the voters, I believe, than LeBron James consistently being the top two seed in the playoffs or Giannis consistently being a top two seed in the playoffs. So my pick for MVP is going to be Luca. Sadly, not Garza. <sighs> Soon enough, maybe. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Speaking of young guys, let's just do a rookie of the year next. So we talked a lot about this draft. Who do you believe is going to be the top rookie for this upcoming campaign? Ooh, I'm going to say, I'm going to actually say LaMelo Ball. Okay. Just because I think he's going to be given the keys in Charlotte. Yeah, I mean, LaMelo's in a really good spot. He's essentially, it's him and Hayward and then the rest of the team. I think LaMelo is a smart choice on the chance that he is going to be the face of Charlotte and probably going to have to play like every night, play like 30, 40 minutes a game. And as long as he's not, as long as his percentages aren't as bad as Lonzo's his rookie year, I think he's going to probably be the guy who's going to win rookie of the year just from his usage alone. Number three over pick LaMelo Ball. My choice for rookie of the year is actually number two overall pick James Wiseman. And I, I chose Wiseman because I just, I think he's the one who got put in the best fit for who he is, what kind of player he is. The Warriors glaring error was they needed a true center. That's what he is. I'm assuming he's going to average somewhere around 15 to 17 points and nine to 10 rebounds a game, one plus blocks per game. He's a good rim protector. I, I think he's going to fill the void that Golden State has for him flawlessly I don't necessarily know if I said I'm going to say he's going to be the best player out of this draft but for the rookie campaign uh, I'm expecting big things from Wiseman my only counterpoint to that is the fact that he's playing with people like Steph Curry Jeremiah Green so with the star-studded cast like that will his accomplishments be overshadowed it's true. It's definitely possible. And his stats could even look a little worse because of stuff like that. He's going to get less shots, less rebound opportunities. And that could factor into someone like LaMelo Ball's favor in the end. But I, I think Wiseman's going to be good enough to hopefully be able to overcome all of that and, and actually use that to his advantage, getting to play with a Curry and a Draymond. So the next award, we're going to go with the Defensive Player of the Year. Um, I'm just going to go out and say – I tried to be as unbiased as possible, but I genuinely believe that Bam Adebayo is going to be the defensive player of the year. I'm not going to go out and say that I think Bam is the best defensive player in basketball, but for next year, I think Bam's already under the spotlight because we saw how good he can be at defense in the bubble. So I think everybody's kind of woken up to how good he can be. And we're going to start seeing Bam not just cover all the best big men on teams. We're just going to start seeing Bam covering the best players on teams. We're going to see his versatility. We're going to see his ability. We're going to see how long and athletic he is. Already one of the best shot blockers. I think he's going to average more steals per game than last year. And I think he's going to be one of, if not the most defensively efficient player this season. That's Miami's Bam Adebayo. I think it's another Rudy Gobert year, unfortunately. I just, I think Bam's accomplishments are going to just fly under the radar because he's not Like Jimmy Butler, I'd say, is a superstar on that team. You got other people there. Like Bam's great. Don't get me wrong. But I think it's just going to be his accomplishments are going to get diminished. The NBA just loves to pick the person who's like the flashiest at whatever respective thing they do. So like MVP this year being Giannis, Giannis was such a dominant player, but you can make a case for LeBron. It usually happens to be deploy every year as well. So I think a go barrier, just like, you know, shut down everyone. Yeah, you shut down the whole league. That's why he didn't win this year. You're right. You're right. He took his own award away from himself. 
Sixth man in the year. This one was a weird one for me because there was literally just one name I kept circling around, and that was Jared Williams. Oh. oh, man. I See, I think Baines is going to start. That's my thing. He's got a good good Damn. role there in Toronto. Um, no, I'm, I'm going to stick with, with Lou Williams. Uh, in my opinion, the best sixth man of all time. Still in a good situation coming off the bench behind Paul George, so he's going to get a lot of minutes as Paul George's backup and the instant offense-type player that he is. I, honestly, I chose Lou Williams as kind of a safe pick, too, because I genuinely just don't know what the rotations of teams are going to be yet. Like, Fred Van Vliet was a name that came up, but I'm not sure if he's going to start too many games. Goran Dragic, I don't even know what Miami's doing with the starting lineup yet. If he comes off the bench, he'd definitely be a name I threw on there. Same with Montrezl Harrell if the Lakers decide to bring him off the bench again or Sarkis, and Sarkisal or whoever else. It, it's one once we kind of find out what the rotations are going to be we can give more of a clear picture but for the time being we know what we're getting with Lou Williams I don't think he's going to have a bubble type season I'm, I'm just going to say Lou Williams at this point I'm going to say Dennis Schroeder on the off this uh, he said we got to wait for rotations but I'm going to assume a lineup of LeBron KCP Wesley Matthews Montrezl Harrell and AD. I'm going to assume that is a starting lineup. So I think Dennis Schroeder will be put to good use in that case. And I think he'll have a good shot, but yeah, Lou Will is obviously a great choice. Yeah. Schroeder actually finished second in six man of the year uh, this past year. I think my guess is the Lakers are going to choose either Schroeder or Harold to bring off the bench. And whoever is that one, I think is going to be a top six man of the year candidate. Hmm. All right, two more awards before we get into potential finals winners. The coach of the year. Who do you have winning uh, the the best coach award for this upcoming season? The doctor, baby. Doctor, do, say Dr. Rivers. Doc, Doc Rivers. Rivers. Let me say we are in a grill, my friend. I also believe Doc Rivers for the Philadelphia 76ers will be the coach of the year. Let's uh, let's hear what you got first. I think just from the aspect he's going to I think the Sixers are going to have a good year this year. And after this slow decline they've been on, I think that's kind of a no-brainer and probably going to be a thing that's going to be heavily publicized. I think Dr. Yeah. Rose is a great coach, too. So, Yeah, I mean, he, he came in and he immediately made some important moves that the Sixers desperately needed, moving on from Horford, bringing in some shooting. Already good stepping stones, I think. So, so I've talked – I always talk highly about Ben Simmons. I genuinely think Ben Simmons can be a top, top-tier player in this league. I think Doc is going to be – more so the coach is going to rip it out of Embiid and we're going to see peak Embiid because of Doc. But I think Doc, is if he's not the coach that ends up getting us peak Ben Simmons, he is going to put us on the path to ensure that we get peak Ben Simmons and we get the top tier player that he can be. And that's what I'm really excited for. Sixers finished in sixth place. I think they're going to finish as a three seed this year. I think Doc's going to be a big part of that. I'm expecting very big things from the Sixers as they're my second favorite NBA team. So I'm glad we're going to agree on at least one of these awards. And moving on to the last one, the most improved player. Who do you believe is going to take on that coveted award? Um, I want to say Aaron Baines with every fiber of my being, I'm not going to. Huh. I, my mind goes to Melo, like not LaMelo Ball, Carmelo Anthony, but I don't think he's going to have enough usage. Ah. Who's going to break out? That is going to be – that's that's the real question. And I think a solid name to put on there – let's say Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown's a good name. He a very capable two-way player, and he really showed up in the that Heat series. He was able to guard Bam from, you know, during stretches. 
Yeah, I think the whoever's going to get it is going to be someone who's who has potential, or maybe like Donovan Mitchell. That's another good example. But someone who's going to have just a breakout season, kind of like Ingram did last year. I'm going to switch to Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell is a very good name. He he was the second guy I chose. Um, and the guy I ended up choosing, who people may say is already too good based off what happened in the bubble, but I don't think you really count the bubble for this type of thing. And so he has to now prove that he can do it for an entire season. And I think he can. And I think the most improved player is going to be Jamal Murray of the Denver Nuggets. I think we're going to see Murray. He's not going to get an all-star starting spot, but I think we're going to see him get as close as he ever does in his career. I think this is the big year for Murray. This is the, are you a super, are you a star? Are you a superstar year? I think he proved that he can be during the bubble and during their great conference finals run. I now expect that. That's the thing. I didn't believe in you before. I now believe in you. I expect him to come home with this award because I know he's capable of it. So Jamal Murray is my most improved player choice to round out my award predictions for the upcoming NBA season. So now we're going to do, we're going to predict what we believe the finals matchup is going to be and maybe give some dark horses as to who could make, make a, low-key heat type run at the, at the NBA finals. So Alex, who, to, to start with, who do you think, what do you think the final matchup finals matchup is going to be and who do you think is going to come out on top? I want to just for life me say the Sixers, but I think they're going to fall like just something's going to go wrong. Unfortunately, my finals prediction is going to be, I think we're going to finally get the, no, I can't. You, it's tough because I want to say the Bucks, but I think Giannis is going to mess up as well. And Giannis is going to push his way out of Milwaukee, which makes sense. I don't want to say the Nets because I think the Nets are going to have issues again. So I'm going to say, I, you know, I'm going to say the Sixers. I'm going to cave. I'm sorry. Okay. I, to, I think they have really made adjustments to add on to the shooting. In addition to that, they have what I believe is an upgrade at coach, who I think is going to unlock potential of their two best players. I like the Sixers' chances this year. And then the West, I think I think the Lakers are going to go back. They're scary. And who do you think is going to win that series, Lakers-Sixers? If the Lakers and Sixers were matched up against each other, I think the Sixers would genuinely win. All right. How many games? Six. I mean, that's kind of the cliche answer, but Ben Simmons on LeBron James is a great matchup. I think Joel Embiid on Anthony Davis is a great matchup. And I think the Sixers then on top of that are a little bit deeper and can shoot better. That's a big thing. The Lakers shot the three-point ball exceptionally well against the Heat and honestly throughout the, most of the playoffs this past year. I like that um, because I agree with you on half of it, and that half is the Lakers. Um, because to me this year, it's there's a lot of good teams, but it's the Lakers and then it's the field. I think the Lakers are better than they are last year. They might not be quite as complete, but I think overall talent-wise, they're better. I think Vogel has formed a very comfortable relationship with LeBron James, which is something he very rarely gets with his coaches. So I like that aspect for him. And I, just, I think him and Davis are by far the, the best duo in basketball. I don't think there's a duo that really even comes close, even a healthy Steph and Clay at this point, or Kyrie and Durant just doesn't quite intimidate me like a LeBron and Davis does. The East is a mess. The East has six, maybe even eight teams that could legitimately say are contending for that, that playoff spot. I agree. I think Giannis is going to choke. And then I believe he's going to leave Milwaukee at some point. 
Um, the Nets also scare me a little bit. Health is more of my main concern with them just because Kyrie's proven to get hurt all the time. Durant now has a couple health injuries. You're not going to win a playoff game with Karis LeVert as your best player. It just sadly won't happen. So I actually think we're going to get an exact repeat of last year. I think the Los Angeles Lakers are going to beat the Miami Heat in exactly six games. I don't think that there is a team in the East that is definitively better than the Heat and the Heat. Well, I don't know if they necessarily got any better. They definitely didn't get much worse. They lost Crowder and replaced him with Harkless, added Bradley. That was pretty much all they did. But other than the potential of the Sixers, which obviously would still yet to be seen, I don't think there's a team that can really beat the Heat that at least is definitively better than the Heat at this point. So I am going to stick with Miami coming out of the East, but I am also going to stick with LA remaining the champions. Your concern should be if they if the Sixers and Heat get matched up, and we can butt heads about this, you know, when it comes time for that. Oh yeah. The Heat love to play zone, and that works against the Sixers team that can't shoot. But if the Sixers can actually shoot this year, you're gonna get torn apart. Literally. Yeah, no, I I would love the matchup of Sixers Heat. I actually think they're the two best defensive teams in the Eastern Conference, despite Milwaukee, just based off how how, how well they are able to switch things up, whether it's like physically switching a defender or switching in and out of a zone, they're both just so capable of it. And, and it's incredible to watch. I think the biggest matchup would come down to like, Bam is going to get physically dominated by Embiid, but who impacts the game more between Joel and Ben or and Bam, I think would, would be end up being the biggest factor in that potential series. But I like that. I, I I truly think like peak peak rosters. These are maybe the two best teams in the Eastern Conference. Dark horse. Who who do you think each conference has maybe like a a low key but kind of clear path to to maybe make a run at the finals? If in the West, if Jokic and Murray can perform up to bubble standards, I think they are a legitimate contender. I know they lost a few pieces, but like they are a scary team the way they are assembled. In the East, I actually think the Celtics are my dark horse. And this is under the assumption it's if Jason Tatum can take that superstar leap. Danny Age is a hoarder, kind of like Sam Presti, and just won't deal any of his assets, which is they're just going to end up expiring. But, like, Jason Tatum is a very legitimate asset. Uh, he's a great player. Kemba Walker has shown flashes of brilliance. I think Jalen Brown's a good player. I, I, I'm scared of them, and I hate Boston, but they're my dark horse. Um, I agree with you, actually, for the Eastern Conference. I was going to say Boston as well. There, A lot of it does rely, I agree, on Jason Tatum taking that step that I do think he's going to make becoming a top-tier player, especially on offense. But they're just always this team that has a good roster and flies a little bit under the radar, I think, because nobody actually wants to see the Boston Celtics succeed. But in two of the last three years, they've been to the conference finals. They're right there. They're close. If Tatum does take that true superstar step, that could just be all they need to cross the threshold, to break through the threshold. I mean, they were only two games off of Miami. Like, it was possible. The Heat were the superior team, but they were there. They were in that series. Boston, they added a guy like Tristan Thompson, who's a good backup center to have with Tice, who's not quite as physical as Tristan. So I really like what they've done with their roster. Jeff Teague, a a sensational backup point guard to have. Their bench looks much better than it did last year. And you you can't discredit that. 
in the West, I was going to say Dallas, but I changed my mind just now to Portland. And and here's why. They're, they're a streaky team. Their superstars don't play a whole lot of defense. But if Dame's going to play the way Dame played, let me say this. Two years ago, Portland was in the conference finals, and they got swept by Golden State, but they were there. And you know who their forwards were? Alfro Camino and Mo Harkless. They lose those two guys this year and they struggle to barely slip into the playoffs because their team relies so heavily on their three and four being able to play perimeter defense because their one and two can't. You know who they got this year? Derek Jones Jr. Bring back Carmelo Anthony and Rodney Hood. And you go out and you get your um, Robert Covington, a sensational perimeter defender. That is the better version of Mo Harkless and Alfro Camino. So if I take that and now you have hopefully a healthy Nurkic and McCollum and Lillard comes off his injury healthy, um, that, that core made it to the conference finals. I see no reason as to why a prime Damian Lillard couldn't do the same thing now with great depth as opposed to the poor depth that we're used to seeing in Portland. So I would keep an eye out on, on Damian Lillard out there in, in Oregon. I, I do like that's a legitimate dark horse. My only problem with Portland is I even with the addition of Robert Covington keeping Carmelo Anthony, I think there's a lack of wing depth. And I think that's what's going to be the issue. Like Robert Covington, love that man to death. Great player for the Sixers. But I think you just need a slight upgrade there. And I with a stacked Western Conference like that against people like Kawhi, Paul George, LeBron, you, you, there's a million small forwards, obviously. I think it's just not going to be enough. I love CJ. I love Dame, but I I think the jury's still out on winning without a legitimate small forward. And the last time it really happened was uh, the first Warriors championship, and that was when the league hadn't adapted to the three pointer. Yeah, that that that's a good point to bring up. Actually, that the small forward in theory is supposed to probably be the most important because they're the one that's supposed to be able to do everything thing and anything that's a very important thing to have and you're right there are lots of things that Covington as good as he is at some things he can't do there are some things he struggles with offensively especially so we'll see I like them I just like the way they're built I love the system carries uh, Terry Stotts runs and you know they they made the playoffs when they really probably shouldn't have this year so we'll, we'll see what they're able to do um th- this upcoming year I like the roster I'm a big Dame fan already but high hopes for Portland for me any other thoughts on the upcoming NBA season you'd like to share? I hope all the players stay healthy and, you know, I hope they've recovered because honestly that's a short off season for a lot of people. Like I don't want people getting injured immediately, but I tend to believe there'll be a few bad injuries kind of right off the bat. Yeah. Well, unfortunately. well that short off season is going to be tough for a lot of players, especially the veterans and the guys that went deep into the bubble but hopefully they're prepared, their teams are ready for it, and we might see a lot more of load management this year than we have in the last couple of years. So love love that, of course, obviously. So now, haven't done these in a little while, but we are going to go back to doing our superlatives. We got five new ones for this week. We are going to start with the moment of the week, or I guess even could be a little further than the last week. Uh, my moment for this week has to go out to, during his game versus Western Illinois, Luca Garza shot 14 of 15 in the first half, scored 30 first-half points in just the third game of the season for Iowa. Obviously, being a huge basketball fan and a huge Iowa fan, that was awesome to see Luca Garza coming out as a top-tier player of the year candidate. Warms my heart out here in corn country. Very happy to see it and support it. Again, man, if you ever come into heirloom, I got you on that free Santa Fe chicken milk. 
Luca Garza has my moment of the week for his performance against Western Illinois this week, this past week. We don't talk a lot about this sport, sport of boxing, but last week there was a, the best way to put it is an influencer boxing match. Nate Robinson versus Jake Paul. Jake Paul being first on Vine, now big on YouTube. Nate Robinson, former NBA player. I watched that match. By far the best knockout I've ever seen in boxing. Oh my goodness. Jake Paul just lit up Nate Robinson. And I don't, have you ever been knocked out? I have not. I haven't either. And I imagine like, you know, the idea, like you lose consciousness, you fall to the ground, whatever, like that's obviously going to hurt. But the way Nate Robinson fell where he just, he got hit. I'm sure the lights just turned off immediately and he just went thump right on like the brim of his face right down. That's got to hurt. Can't feel good in the morning. Just on top of the hit as well. So my moment of the week was a vicious knockout because I am a male and I like senseless violence. Jake Paul just had a flight con- fight confirmed for next February against Floyd Mayweather. So we'll, we'll keep our eyes and ears peeled for that one. That could be a very fun fight. Jake Paul's a built dude. I'll say that. It was actually his brother, Logan, who's going to fight Logan. Floyd. That's right. That's right. My bad on that one. But either but, way, marquee fight. Hey, they both showed up. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. They're actually not just messing around with training. Like they, they could probably beat you up, Robbie. <laughs> I would probably agree with that. And I would also probably say Nate Robinson could beat me up as well, despite my height advantage on him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Shout out uh, Jake Paul. there knocking out Nate Robinson. It was a fun fight for anybody who didn't watch. Uh, most disappointing for this past week. Uh, I, I'll, actually, I'll let you go first. Who do you have this week for most disappointing? It's not, not, a, not an easy choice, but uh, Carson Wentz, who over the past I don't know if three months has just really been letting me down and uh, I'm trying not to get choked up. I don't want to get emotional. You know, you guys came here to watch me suffer. I know that. So I will be stoic and not give you the benefit of doubt for my reactions. No, but honestly, the Eagles stink. Carson Wentz stinks. Uh, Jalen Hurts was actually a bright spot today, which is not going to be good for drama. Uh, I don't know. Carson, like you, 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 you have to have a kid and just all goes downhill. <laughs> like I'm, I'm being sarcastic, of course. Like, I just, I don't know. I was really high on him. He was the envy. He should have probably won the MVP. The year he got hurt. So the Eagles won the Super Bowl. And just the kind of fall from grace and having, it's just really disappointed me. And I know a lot of other people are in the same boat. So Yeah. That's a tough one for Eagles fan. This, this great player just unfortunately isn't quite doing it at that level anymore. It's tough to see. You don't, you never, never love to see that as a fan base. Tough, tough week for Carson Wentz. Tough season for Carson Wentz. My disappointing this week is the Seattle Seahawks as a whole. I specifically their defense, but I talked so highly about them through the first half of the season. Russell Wilson, my clear cut MVP choice. This team, my potential to, you know, chance to win the NFC. That's all coming apart. This defense is all time bad. Like they, they were getting run up the gut by the football giants. Wayne Gallman had over a hundred rushing yards. Alfred Morris had over 70 rushing yards. I mean, that dude was on the practice squad to start the year. This defense couldn't stop my fraternity flag football team. If they were paid to do it, they're going to get blown out 
in a playoff matchup, unless it just gets to be a shootout, then they'll have a legitimate chance. But at this point I have dropped from so high to so low on the Seahawks team that they're going to have to have some ridiculous upcoming weeks to get on return of the King for me. (laughs) Speaking of return of the King, this could be a good transition to go right into that superlative and begrudgingly I have to pick the nine and three Cleveland Browns. A couple weeks ago, I talked about how I did not believe they were a real football team. And to my dismay, I am shocked that they are, in fact, a real football team. Again, as I said, but they're here. They're here to play. They're very talented, a lot of skilled players. And to their credit, are actually the third best team in the AFC based off record right now. Have to give them credit. I have to minimally apologize for the words I've said. It's not that I didn't mean them. But Cleveland, looking good. Shout out to you guys. I guess I got to eat my words as well. After talking about the Seahawks and talking about division rivals, I begrudgingly have to go with the Giants. And I'd like to put an asterisk next to this return of the King because the Giants are still awful. It's just they're less awful than anyone in the NFC East. So they're going to get a four seed most likely. Look, they showed up. They won four straight. They won without Daniel Jones today. They beat the Seahawks. The Eagles couldn't do that. I give them props, unfortunately. Yeah, no, it's a begrudging day here. We, we're picking our, our least favorite teams, but it, hey, it shows we can put our biases aside of anything. Not true. Uh, Not look true at us. At all. It's, it shows growth, man. <laughs> um, bad boy this week, always a fun award that we have. Uh, if you wouldn't mind doing the honors of how we say things here. You've been a bad boy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. My bad boy this week, Emmanuel Duran from uh, high school in Texas. If you saw the video, he ran onto the field after a referee called a penalty on him. I don't know if he got ejected from that penalty, but he decked the ref and is actually being dealt an assault charge at the moment. Not a pretty thing, but man, you have to be able to keep your emotions in check when you're playing sports. And especially to something like that degree, you cannot run onto the field and deck a referee. Not to say we don't all think it at times, but you got to be able to keep that stuff in check. Duran wasn't able to. You've been a bad boy. Don't be don't be doing that again, my friend. All right. Mine's a little less illegal, but it's still <laughs> very unethical. So my bad boy goes to Malik Beasley. Robbie, have you been keeping up with Malik Beasley? I have. I have. It's an it's an interesting story developing out there in Denver. Oh boy. Or Minnesota, excuse Minnesota, me. Minnesota, yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Malik Beasley is married. Okay, well, let's just start there. And I think you kind of know this is going. Yeah, with the kid. You can kind of figure out how the story's going. But, like, he has been thirsty on social media, specifically Instagram. And he's been going after a lady who's also married. But who is this lady, you might ask? Well, none other than Scottie Pippen's wife. He's been going after her on social media. And he went on a date with her. It's bad, and I'm sure there's other stuff there. I, you know, can't confirm any of that. I don't want to know also. But for him to cheat on his wife, I presume, to go on a date with another married woman who is married to one of the best basketball players of all time, Scottie Pippen, you've been a bad boy. And not just by, yeah. like, like, just catholic standards of like you know don't covet your neighbor's wife type stuff it's like you've been a bad boy ethically like you're you shouldn't be doing that 
He's out here giving guys a bad name all over the world. I, I swear to God, any, if any, any ladies are out there listening, your gym class all-stars would never do something like that. I'll tell you that right now. That's right. We are good men. Good men. I'm a good We're Jewish single. boy. <laughs> <laughs> Malik Beasley, Emmanuel Duran. You've been bad, bad boys this week. One more award here. Our MVP for the week, most valuable player. I'm going to go ahead and go first. I'm going to give this one to Darren Waller of the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, with Josh Jacobs out, I sat next to my little brother today and I said, watch, Darren Waller's about to have a good game. And I believed that, but I didn't quite believe it to the magnitude of the truth it was going to have. Darren Waller went for 13 of 16 for 200 receiving yards and two touchdowns in the Las Vegas Raiders three-point victory over the New York Jets. A sensational outing for Waller against a team he should have had a good outing against in the first place, but held up to it. Top tight end this year, especially with all the injuries that have happened. Uh, shout out Darren Waller. Probably the best game of your career. Uh, keep keep going up and keep pushing for the Raiders to make that playoff spot. So we're a week late on this. My MVP is Sarah Fuller of the Vanderbilt college football team. Sarah Fuller, who is a goalkeeper for Vanderbilt's women's soccer team, was called up to the football team because a bunch of the, you know, punter, place kicker, they got COVID. And she became the first woman to play in a Power 5 conference football game, which to me is incredible, especially I know Vanderbilt sucks. They haven't won a game. They lost 42 nothing. all that. That's pretty impressive to me. And, I like, she got a lot of flack on social media on the fact that her kick, like, you know, wasn't, it didn't go through the back of the end zone. It was like, it went to like, I don't know, 30, whatever. But first and foremost, unless you're a soccer player or a kicker, we would not, like, I wouldn't have done better than that. I would have been anywhere close to that. Uh, and, you know, she kicked it off, was a return for a touchdown. All positives for me. I, you know, honestly, We've talked a lot about, you know, female athletes here, especially when they've done something that's like, you know, breaking barriers. To me, that is an awesome thing. Uh, I hope to see more of it in the future, but it's a great first step. And, you know, I'm happy for her. Yeah, no, it's, it's very rare these days to be the first person to do something, to accomplish something. And this no small feat being the first woman to play in a power five football game awesome stuff uh shout out to her and and uh, the future women that are going to end up you know being trailblazers in this field and kind of breaking that barrier to have more women potentially in college football awesome stuff really happy to be back doing these superlatives i uh, hope you guys enjoyed this content and if you want some more content your gym class all-stars actually guest starred on a podcast this past week called box office qbs uh, they do reviews of movies and the, the show we were on, we did Any Given Sunday, football movie starring Al Pacino, Jamie Foxx, Cameron Diaz. We had a really good time. Uh, the, the guy's really great. Their show, very fun to watch. I just finished listening to their Rocky episode. Really good stuff. I love Rocky. Um, so yeah, give them, a, give them a listen. Give them a, a follow on the social medias. And uh, again, hope you guys enjoyed and we'll be back next week with even more content. Yeah, take care, guys.